sometimes when I begin a Dharma talk, I have that feeling of uh, jumping off into the unknown, and sometimes it's a little uh, disconcerting, <laughs> as, you, as you know yourself, <laughs> when you're jumping into something that's not so familiar. And it was interesting just now, like pushing the button, it was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> And where where are we going? I don't know. <laughs> it seems on this retreat it's becoming uh, more and more mysterious, actually, where we're actually going and <laughs> what we're actually doing. <laughs> but I thought that I would, um, tonight I would refer to the title of our, of our retreat called Our Wisdom Heart. I just had to check and see if that was the right title. <laughs> it's not that I get so attached to these things. <laughs> so I, this uh, label, Our Wisdom Heart, I, it's something that's uh, recently come to me because I, I really like the juxtaposition of those two words together, you know, Wisdom Heart rather than just heart, or rather than just wisdom. I like the two together, and I thought I would explore that, uh, what it is about that that really speaks to me. And this word heart is an interesting word because it's a word that um, certainly was not used in the Pali Canon, um, it wasn't something that the Buddha actually talked about as uh, the awakening of the heart or the opening of the heart. And yet when we sense into this word heart, it seems to evoke certain qualities of our being. Um, it, it kind of evokes a sense of um, maybe warmth, kind of a warm kind of openness or um, connect kind of connectivity or a harmony, um, qualities of love, you know, um, and all the things that this word love evokes. And in the word love isn't a word that the Buddha necessarily used either. There's not a, a Pali word that's translated as love. Uh, more of what there is in, in the Buddhist teachings is the Brahma-viharas, this teaching of the Brahma-viharas, which actually goes right through the Pali Canon, goes right through the teachings of the Buddha. And this word Brahma, Brahma-vihara, Brahma means great or holy, supreme, uh, sublime, exalted, uh, divine, the Bra Brahma, the Brahma realm. It's a God realm in the Buddhist cosmology. And we talk about the Brahma Vihara. Vihara means dwelling or, or home or abode. And so these Brahma Viharas and the practice of this and the fru fruition of the Brahma-viharas is, is this expression and manifestation of the divine home or the exalted states 
or the, the sublime states of mind and heart. And so, so these, these expressions that are spoken about in the, in the teachings of the Buddha are these, um, these, these, these exalted, kind of beautiful states of mind that I'm becoming more and more interested in because it seems like, you know, as we talk about this dismantling of our sense of identity, our sense of self, it can seem like, well, what's there once all of this dismantles? You know, can, can we, can, we can imagine maybe that there's nothing, you know, and that it can be very scary and um, not very welcoming <laughs> for us to, you know, just break down this sense of who we take ourselves to be and then say, well, what, what's, what's there? But it seems that what's there is this expression of our intrinsic nature, our intrinsic being, which is manifested as these Brahma Viharas, these, these expressions of the God realm or the divine realm of being. And it can be hard to imagine that this is true of us, <laughs> that that's actually more of a representation of who we actually are than this false identity, this sense of me or I, this uh, small, limited sense of self or ego that we take ourselves to be. And when we identify with the aspects of our mind and our body in, that, in the limited way, then it can seem like these qualities of our heart, of our being, are inaccessible. It's hard to imagine that I could be an expression of the God realms, you know, that I could, I could have the capacity to love in a very pure and beautiful way or to feel a depth of compassion or a depth of joy, a depth of equanimity. And when I speak about the Brahma-Viharas, these four Brahma-Viharas, this is what they are. They're the, instead of the word love, uh, which isn't, there isn't a Pali word for that, there's the Pali word for the, the Brahma-Viharas, which really are four flavors of love. It's like four flavors of love, four expressions of love, delineated and discriminated as different ways of being and different ways of, of expressing ourself in our purest nature, in our purest form. So the first one being metta, which is translated as the loving kindness. So loving kindness is this expression of our nature. But it's only one expression. And we have the expression of compassion which is a, a love, a loving kindness that is turned towards more of the painful or the suffering aspect of life, where the heart opens, the heart is able to be in contact with the pain, with the difficulty, with the suffering, whether it's within ourselves or within other beings or in the world, that our heart opens to that, opens in contact too. 
And we've been speaking about these four um, qualities of mindfulness, or we can expand that out to awareness or consciousness. And it, one of the, the, the different characteristics are like this contact with. So when we're in a, an expression of compassion, we're in contact with that which is difficult. We know, this other characteristic, we know that we're in contact with something that's difficult. We're, we're present in that contact. And it's immediate. It's real. It's truthful. It's not something imaginary or something that we're making up. It's real now and immediate. And when we come into contact in that way, without all the overlays of our resistance and our aversion and our grasping onto more ideal situations, we are energized because the, our vitality is not occluded, it's not hindered. So the heart opens. This is what we mean by the, the heart opening, the heart awakening, the heart coming into contact with. I'm calling these the heart qualities, the, the qualities of love, the qualities of warmth, of connection, of harmony. Through these, this particular um, uh, model that's been given to us of the four Brahmaviharas. So coming into contact through this, this compassion, speaking about compassion at the moment, this karuna, or the love, the metta that is turned towards the pain, the metta, the metta itself, the loving kindness when we practice metta, it's really about wishing happiness. It's about the happiness aspect, uh, wishing happiness and wishing for people to be well and wishing for safety and ease. And, you know, it's an uplifting kind of energy. Compassion is that love when we're actually turning towards the painful and it can, can feel like it's not so uplifting. <laughs> If it can feel like it's going to really bring us down when we turn towards the, that, that which is difficult. But when in the purest form, it's love. It's love. And love does not turn away. Love doesn't resist. Love can be present with because it embraces. It's uh, all-encompassing. It, it doesn't, it's not afraid. There's no fear in the love. So the love can turn towards. So this, this compassion, it's, it's, uh, it's awake, it's an awakening, an awakening energy. So, so the way we imagine when we turn towards the difficult aspects, when we think about it from the location of the ego, it seems, uh, seems hard and difficult and challenging and painful and uh, we want to resist it and reject it. But from the position, from the location of the awake mind, from the mind that isn't hindered by all those things, the, the heart is naturally drawn towards that which is difficult because when we're in a purer place, we want to relieve that pain. We want to do whatever we can to support the overcoming of that pain, whether it's in ourselves or whether it's in another person or whether we see it in the world. There's just a natural movement. I mean, we, we, we get so, so worried because from the location of the ego, we think we're going to just either get overwhelmed or we're going to um, uh, get pulled down. We're going to you know, get, get caught up in the pain. 
but yet as we continue to work with those uh, uh, hindrances of the occluded self, we actually find out that in our na natural way of being, in the truest, purest way of our being, when we open, it's not that we kind of become dumbed down or we just become absent or we become disengaged. We're still in our humanity. We're still human beings and we are engaged in this world, in this life, in relationship, and we're moved, we're touched by the things that we feel in ourselves and that we see in others. And, and our heart goes out, this is the language, our heart goes out. We're, we want to be in contact. We want to be engaged. We want to feel and to be, we want to feel that energy. We want to feel alive. It's just the natural movement of being human. So when somebody speaks in this group about something that's very tender and, and very true and very vulnerable, I mean, what happens? It's not that we kind of, you know, sit there and turn off and, you know, judge or just shut down. It's like, whew, you know, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're, we're really, really moved. You know, and sometimes, you know, the tears come to the eyes and, you know, we, we can relate to what the person's saying. It really speaks to us. It resonates. You know, this is the compassion. The compassion that starts to come forth. This very powerful energy that's there within us, within our own goodness, within our own purity of our being. But this often gets so covered over, we can't even imagine this is true of us. And yet this is inherent in our being and who we are. And even we can see even when we're caught up in a lot of our own preoccupation and our own stories and our own uh, issues, we're still touched. It's like we're not that closed down. We're not that, you know, covered over. It's like something still goes in. The tear still comes down in the eye and, you know, our heart still flutters and, you know, it's right there. The heart, the aliveness, the energy, the connection, the harmony, it's there for us. So, so when, we're, when we're reflecting on these qualities of the heart, it's not like it's so foreign or so distant from us. We know it. It's true for us. We ran across this, um, this beautiful um, kind of po more poetic description of compassion. It's called the compassionate heart of the enlightened mind, which is the same kind of thing of the, of the, um, the wisdom heart, you know, the wisdom being that aspect of our mind that can see things clearly without obscuration, without distraction, without uh, hindrance. So the enlightened mind, the awakened mind, that is the wisdom and the compassionate heart. And this is from Shantideva, um, uh, who, uh, from, from, I'm not sure uh, what century, but it, um, not during the time of the Buddha, but sometime after that, one of the translators of some of the Buddha's teachings. The compassionate heart is the supreme elixir that overcomes the sovereignty, the sovereignty of death. 
The compassionate heart is the inexhaustible treasure that eliminates poverty in the world. The compassionate heart is the supreme medicine that quells the world's disease. The compassionate heart is the tree that shelters all beings wandering and tired on the path of conditioned existence. The compassionate heart is the universal bridge that leads to freedom from unhappy states of birth. The compassionate heart is the dawning moon of the mind that dispels the torment of disturbing conceptions. The compassionate heart is the great sun that finally removes the misty ignorance of the world. The compassionate heart. And so very much in our practice, it's like there's this tandem thing happening. You know, as we're being mindful, as we're paying attention, as we're letting go, really what we're doing is cultivating this compassion at the same time. And sometimes it's not so apparent that that's what we're doing, but I can assure you that you would not be able to do this practice unless there was compassion in place. And I think you all know what I'm talking about because you couldn't bear, you couldn't bear to see the things that you're seeing in your own mind and your own history and your own uh, conditioned existence, as people have been speaking about, without there being compassion. (laughs) The judge, the critical negative mind would be so in there, just cutting you down and pushing you down and, you know, just making you such a bad and awful person for all the things that you've done and all the things that you're thinking and all the judgments that you're projecting to yourself and to others, that there wouldn't be a chance, there wouldn't be a hope in the world of, keep, of, of continuing on. You'd just be down and flattened. So it's the compassion, it's the love, the metta, the loving kindness and the compassion that keeps us buoyant. It's what keeps us able to walk this path as we open our eyes more and more and more to the truth. And for those of us who have been walking this for a while, this path for a while, we know that we just see more and more and more. <laughs> and in some respects, it gets harder and uh, we sort of can't believe what we're seeing. <laughs> It gets more shocking. (laughs) Did I really do that? Did I really think that? Did I really act like that? Oh, you know, and and if there wasn't, you know, some, the, the qualities of the heart that were intrinsic in our consciousness, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to look. We wouldn't be able to keep going. So we, we're cultivating this, and, and, and it seems like the, the more we practice, which is a compassionate act in itself, you know, it's a, already an extreme act of kindness to be able to, you know, spend time looking at your own mind and heart. So that, so that cultivates the compassion. 
And then the more that you see, and it requires more and more support from the heart, from the compassion, from the love, to be able to continue to walk. And so that gets stronger, and so that then we can see more. More and more can come up from the unconscious material, and we see more. And then that creates more compassion and more love for ourselves, and then more comes up. <laughs> and then it brings more compassion. And not only for ourselves, then we see it happening in other people, in our relationships and with the loved ones. We see things in the world happening, and we go, oh, my gosh, this is crazy what's going on in this world. And then more compassion starts to come. Because what's the alternative? I mean, the alternative is just turning away, shutting down, blocking off, staying closed, you know, in our, in our closed little room with all the shades pulled down, with the covers over our head, <laughs> and saying no. But, you know, it's, we can question what is it that keeps us going? What is it that keeps us going? You know, if it wasn't something intrinsic in our own being that is there, which, which we call our basic goodness. It's our basic goodness. And the basic goodness then gets expressed as through these Brahma-viharas, the, the, the loving kindness, the compassion, the joy, the equanimity. And, and in, in the teachings, we actually have practices for each one of those so that we can cultivate and bring forth those qualities because they may not be so apparent. And, and so the practices that we have in this tradition can, can help to bring those forth. And as we bring them forth, more and more is revealed about our true nature, our true being, who who we are, so that more and more than that becomes a, a kind of inner support. So I've been talking about this accessing an inner support so that we can keep going, we can keep walking. And so these, these qualities of our being, these qualities of our heart, more and more become the support rather than our identity and our ego strategies and, and the, 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 the behaviors and patterns that are more habitual, which we've usually depended on as a way to support ourselves in the world, as those start, start to drop away, more and more we feel a different order of support, which feels more true. It feels more pure. It feels more authentic. It feels like, yeah, now, now I'm getting closer to what feels like me. I'm feeling more like myself. Before I wasn't feeling so much like myself, like who is that person? But, but now it's like, oh, yeah, this feels right. This feels good. And, and, and it doesn't, it's not surprising that we long for this, you know, that we get, we grasp, we strive for this, we, we crave for this kind of 
calm and settledness and presence and and the heart being open and loving and feeling compassionate and feeling the equanimity and the joy. We want that. I mean, this is what we get so frustrated about and so impatient and and um, so disappointed when we're not feeling this. Why is that? It's not just a a confusion in the mind or it's because somebody told you that that's who you are or that you'd feel better or that you'd be better off if you experienced yourself like that. It's because you know that that's what's true about who you are. The knowing's already in place and so therefore then it's a kind of funny thing that happens and then and then there's this kind of it's almost like the ego co-ops those qualities and says, I want them for myself. I want to be loving. I want to be compassionate. I want to be generous. I want to be clear. I want to be wise. But it's funny because the ego thinks it's going to get them. But it can't have them because it doesn't belong to the ego. <laughs> it can never have them. So it's a funny kind of thing. It's almost like the the self that gets formed is some kind of a it's it's some kind of mirror image of our nature itself, of our of our being, of our true being itself. And then and somehow the, the we get this there's this somebody we become somebody who says that's who I want to be because it's seeing something, it's in contact with something, it's knowing something, but it can't have it because you can't have this, because it's already who you are. If you go searching for it, or seeking for it, or looking for it, I mean, where are you going to look? Because <laughs> we're always looking out there, always looking somewhere else. It's, it doesn't occur to the one who's searching to just turn around <laughs> look back, look where we already are and who we already are, and everything we're looking for is right here. But that one's so busy looking and searching and seeking and not finding because it's looking in the wrong place, which is out there, somewhere else from here, where all of these qualities are already totally where they've always been and the only place they can only be is in being itself in in the nature itself in in this consciousness itself where else is it going to be where are we going to find love where are we going to find joy where are we going to find calm and tranquility only going to be here. So this is why, in a way, there's this kind of rigorous emphasis on turning back here, you know, and, and we can get frustrated and disappointed and think, well, there must be more, you know, it must be more magical, must be more mysterious, must be, must be more esoteric. But then the basic teachings, the basic teachings of the Buddha says just Turn back here. 
turn back here. Everything that you're looking for is here. And it's the hardest thing to trust, I suppose is the right word. It's just we have to really trust that because all of our activity is to go somewhere else, whether it's going somewhere else in our own mind, to the past, to the future, fantasizing, imagining, or going to some other teaching, teacher, tradition, practice, whatever it is, it can't be here. <laughs> it can't be here is, that is what our minds say. So we turn back, and as we let go of the mind again and again and again, we say, let go of the mind, let go of the concepts, let go of the plans, the fantasies, the memories, the past, the future, let go, let go, let go. And we do that again and again and again and again. And then it seems what happens is that the mind begins to lose some of its mortar, somebody said this morning, you know, the cement that's holding it all together, starts to, to, to open up a bit more. And there seems to be some space in between the gaps of all those thoughts and images. It's like you see moments where it just kind of stops, little gaps, cracks in the mind, moments where there isn't a thought, even if it's just for an instant. There isn't a thought. It's just like, oh, nothing for a moment or two, or sometimes longer. Some people say longer. And then another thought comes. But we start to see those little gaps, some space in the mind, some opening in the mind. And it's kind of curious. This is um, um, Robert, Robert Thurman. He says, um, uh, in the normal cycling of thought, we have lots of very tight little circuits that pattern our thinking. A lot of energy is tied up in that. So when we come to meditate and begin to slow the thinking pattern down, or even abandon the thoughts and see them float away, this can tend to be a powerful experience for us. To suddenly be suspended in space-time for a few moments of our life without thinking about what we are doing Suddenly, there is so much more energy released by getting out of that tight little circuit. We can feel calm or like we are floating. We might feel we have attained something. It just There's so much that's freed up when that tight little circuit that we've lived our life in all of a sudden just pops open for a moment or two. So... But then he goes on to say that um, this moment of not thinking isn't really it either. And there's more to be understood in that. He says, even if you've learned that the secret way, the high and great seal of perfection, is like a clarified, luminous, and magnificent, marvelous state of non-thought, that's too simple. It's much more than non-thought. So this is a little opening, it's a little crack, and it's a crack in the momentum of our habits. All those habits that we are just on automatic, that tight little food feedback loop that just keeps everything going. It's a little crack in that, and all of a sudden we wonder, wait a minute, what? what's this about? And it seems like the more that we're not 
hooking on to our mind as our reference point for reality, for who I am, for who other people are, for the way the world is, the more the when I'm not doing that as much, this space starts to open up, and it seems that this lo- when the, lo- the way we're so located up in the head, which are where it seems like all these circuits are going, these tight little circuits are going, it seems like that opens up, the space opens up, and then there's like an energetic drop down into the heart. And we start to feel energetically like we're starting to function or to experience ourselves from a different energetic location. Rather than just being led around by our heads and our minds and that's dictating reality, and we find out actually that's not reality, (laughs) we start questioning that. We start dropping down and we start to feel more of this spacious, warm, more connected, harmonious way of being that isn't so dependent on our thoughts or our concepts or our images, our pictures, our representations of reality. But we just start, we're just kind of like here in contact with life as it's happening. And it seems like it's happening more from this location of our body. We can actually feel that energetically. And my sense is that many of you actually know what I'm speaking about, where you can feel, and this is where the, um, in the traditions of the chakras, the, the, the old ancient tradition of chakra, they've named the different chakras of the body, and we can actually feel, we can start to feel the different energetic uh, qualities from the different parts of our body. There's also the model of the three centers. There's the head center, there's the heart center, and the belly center as three primary centers of our being. And each one of those have a different quality, an energetic quality. And so when the heart starts to open, we start to feel that, that energy, and we're sensitive in ways that we've never been sensitive before. And the the love starts to manifest, the compassion is more present, the the joy that comes from that, as well as this sense of being grounded and more centered because we're not just being led around by our tight little feedback loops in our mind. And then we start to feel more here, more present, more connected, more in tune, more sensitive, to the things of this world. We feel more whole, more more ourselves, like, hmm, like I'm I'm a I'm a human being. <laughs> a human being being rather than as you've heard a human doing. You know, we can we think of ourselves as human doings, we, we're much more human doings than we are human beings, but we start to be feel more like a human being. So this love, this love and the compassion, so important, so important to give give attention to this and how this is manifesting in the qualities of these, of the heart, as we are opening in our practice. This is from um, Hafiz, the great Sufi poets and teachers. 
he says, I know the way you can get when you have not had a drink of love. Your face hardens. Your sweet muscles cramp. Children become concerned about a strange look that appears in your eyes, which even begins to worry your own mirror and nose. Squirrels and birds sense your sadness and call an important conference in a tall tree. They decide which secret code to chant to help your mind and soul. Even angels fear that brand of madness that arrays itself against the world and throws sharp stones and spears into the innocent and into oneself. Oh, I know the way you can get if you have not been drinking love. You might rip apart every sentence your friends and teachers say, looking for hidden clauses. You might weigh every word on a scale like a dead fish. You might pull out a ruler to measure every angle in your darkness, the beautiful dimensions of a heart that you once trusted. I know the way you can get, can get if you have not had a drink from love's hands. That is why all the great ones speak of the vital need to keep remembering God. So you will come to know and see him as being so playful and wanting just wanting to help. That is why Hafiz says, bring your cup near me, for I am a sweet old vagabond with an infinite leaking barrel of light and laughter and truth that the beloved has tied to my back. Dear one, indeed, please bring your heart near me, for all I care about is quenching your thirst for freedom. All a sane man can ever care about is giving love. All a sane man or woman can ever care about is giving love. So it brings to question, I think, what sanity is. (laughs) And can we really call ourselves sane if we're not giving love? giving love to ourselves, giving love to others, giving love to the world. And it truly is what we most want. I know that. I, I believe, and the Buddha also said, that all beings want to be happy. It's a beautiful reflection. And all beings, all sentient beings, even the smallest creature, wants to be happy. And this is true. This is truly inherent in our being. We want this. And therefore, when we are truthful, when we are honest with ourselves, we will seek that happiness. All beings will seek that happiness, but we generally don't know where to go to find it. So we look in the wrong places, looking in the wrong places because we're looking in the wrong direction. So the Buddhist teachings, the Buddhist practices, they're saying, turn around. (laughs) Stop going that direction. (laughs) 
you will see things in every direction that look like they're going to bring you some kind of fulfillment. Don't go after them. Turn around. Come back. Come back. Come back to your own heart, to your own experience, to your own mind, to your own place. Take a look there. Look at your own mind. Look at your own heart. That's where you'll find what you're looking for. And as we look, as we pay attention, what we find then is our own capacity for love, our own capacity for compassion, our own capacity for joy, and our own capacity for equanimity. It's all there, all in place. So I think this is going to be a shorter talk tonight. And um, I think I'm going to end with this poem from John O'Donohue, which is called For a New Beginning. In out-of-the-way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, This beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. For a long time it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness grow inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the gray promises that sameness whispered heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered, would you always live like this? Then the delight, when your courage kindled, and out you stepped onto new ground, your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plenitude opening before you. Though your destiny is not clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning, that is at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find the ease in risk. Soon you will be home in a new rhythm, for your soul senses the world that awaits you. Let's just sit for a moment together. (laughs) 